What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Panko Chicken. The new Atlanta restaurant thrives off of a unique spin on Japanese and Western cuisine and is already racking up the awards, winning best-selling taste in the Taste of Atlanta Awards, both in 2017 and 2018. So if you're in the metro Atlanta area and are wanting to try something new and good and delicious, Go to Panko Chicken today and tell them that I sent you over. You'll be glad you did, I promise. Panko Chicken, where eats meets West. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, welcome back to a Wednesday night edition of the Chase Thomas podcast. Good to be back after a night off. Um, other factors were in play, but uh, I don't like not potting during the week. It drives me nuts. Friday, I would even pod then if I could, but uh, I apologize for missing Tuesday. But thankfully, thankfully, my longtime friend now on this podcast, John Taylor of Sports Illustrated, is here. John, it is great to have you back on the podcast tonight. Yeah, it's been a minute, hasn't it? I don't think we've talked since um, probably like right at the beginning of spring training, I feel like. Something like that. I mean, the Braves have started spending all kinds of money. I don't know if you saw, but the Braves are actually no longer cheap. Hey, let's let's not go crazy here. There is a. Um, I deleted this earlier, but um, a radio station I used to work at, biggest one in Atlanta, the sports one. Um, they had this a minute and a half long uh, video from one of the hosts um, making the case that uh, the Braves had a plan, and they, uh, by this Acuna extension, confirmed that the Braves are not cheap and that the people complaining about the Braves being cheap um, were ill-informed and that this is proof that the long-term plan is uh, looking great. So the team that decreased payroll from the year before um, after winning 90 games, um, things are fine. And the Acuna extension, where he'll be making, like, let me check my notes here, yes, Three million dollars a year for the next forty years um, is a is a steal. So that that confirms that getting a bargain for your young superstar is uh, all you need to know. That uh, a team is no longer cheap. It, it reminds me of the same kind of conversation or, or that arose when Blake Snell got his extension from the Rays, and you saw that right. fan base immediately start crowing about, "Ha, ah, this proves the Rays aren't cheap." And it's like, no, what proves they're cheap is that they slashed their payroll by twenty million dollars from from this from last year to this one, like. Giving a really good player a team-friendly extension, th- that's part of being cheap. Like, you right. know, being, it's, 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 I, I think I said this, I wrote this in, in talking about these extensions at some point, because I've, I've written about like a billion extensions now this spring. Um, to, to paraphrase Chris Rock, that's what you're supposed to do. Like, what do you want, a cookie? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. um, and I just I, I find it kind of annoying this idea, and it's always a bad faith idea that, that that these two thoughts can't exist at the same time. That a team can give an extension to a player, but at the same time still not be spending what you would consider an appropriate amount to be. And I think you know you see that with the Braves, where it's like, great, they paid Acuna and they paid him 
one, a contract that he's going to outproduce by a factor of like three or four if he stays healthy um, over the course of these eight years, or I believe it's eight, however long it is. Yeah. Two, that they also, you know, didn't, that they still are not spending money where they also should be, like their rotation or their bullpen. To me, I want to make the argument that it's like, great, you paid Acuna. Now, now that you know you have those cost savings locked in for the next six to eight years, should be really easy for you guys to turn around and give that money to Dallas Keuchel and Greg Kimbrell instead. But right, hey, what do I know? I don't run a team, and I understand that. I would imagine, you know, if Alex Anthopoulos had his druthers, he would probably be doing that. I understand that this is first and foremost a Liberty Media thing, but you know, it's 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 disappointing to see when, especially when you have a team like Atlanta that has such a such a wealth of young talent and really. You know, could be up there with the best teams in baseball if all they all they have to do is try, and they they can't even do that. So now that I've started this off by just you know being dour and raining on the Acuna parade. No, it's it's good because I'm I think you made a great point there, which is this: if the Acuna stuff, if you're a fan, you should love this. You should love that they got Acuna to agree to this. If you're Ronald Acuna, I don't really understand. Like, so someone made a point when I tweeted about this a couple days ago was, uh, and I think this is an interesting one that I hadn't really considered is that like, um, well, I don't even know. If it's, I don't, it, it's uncomfortable to talk about, but the Jose Fernandez stuff where he never got locked in. So his family didn't get like, if he had accepted a, a deal like a year or two before, like an Acuna type deal, that like his family would be taken care of. I haven't looked at the like the timeline for that. I'm not sure if that's 100% fair um, to suggest that it's a good well, idea. I mean, for... it, it, it depends because like in Fernandez's case, he was always convinced. Um, he and Scott Boris were both convinced that he was going to make hundreds of millions of dollars as a free and he, agent. They would have been right, for, probably. And they probably would have been right, although you, you never know given the way things have turned out with free agency. Yeah. Um, and to me, that's, that's why I can also never, ever blame a player for accepting these deals, no right. matter... You know, because uh, sure, Ronald Acuna is worth easily. If you know, if he if he stays healthy and produces the way he's supposed to produce, he'll be worth you know three or four times this deal. But at the same time, who is going to say no at the age of twenty, twenty one years old to a hundred million dollars guaranteed, no matter what, not just for you, but for your family and for your you know your children and your children's children and their children. You know, it, it's it's more wealth than most human beings can even dream of. You know, and that's especially the case when you go down to like the you know, extensions that are very small or that look much smaller, you know, for kind of mid-tier to kind of bottom basement guys like Randall Gritchuk and David Bodie and, and Brandon Lau and, you know, uh, last year Christian Vasquez, where it's like, you know, maybe these guys could have made more if they'd just gone year to year through arbitration or, you know, bet on themselves getting better and, you know, making that money in free agency. But I can completely, or Whit Merrifield too, although his, his case is a little more complicated. Um, you know, I can never blame those guys for taking the money. I just, I blame teams for, or teams, not sorry, the league and teams for creating a system in which taking that money where it's always, always less than they're worth is becomes the only viable financial option for these guys other than just, you know, taking the huge risk of staying healthy every year, producing every year, and then going to free agency where teams are now like, well, we're just not going to spend here anymore. So good luck. Right. A lot of these young players, and I want to know from you, is like, do you think this is a growing trend for these young guys? Because Marquez did it in Colorado, and I, like you said, Blake Snell in Tampa Bay. I wonder if more and more of these guys are just going to be like, look, because um, I, I, there's no way their agents are pushing for this, and they want them to accept these kind of deals this young. But 
I wonder if they're just like, look, we're looking at the lay of the land. This might get ugly. This next CBA negotiation is going to get very ugly. Like, let's just go ahead and lock in as much guaranteed money as we can right now. And then hopefully we'll still be good at the end of this contract and we'll eventually get paid. But it, I can understand guys getting nervous about what their paydays are going to look like when they become veterans. And it's just, I, I don't know if this is going the right way for them. Um, but Acuna has to feel great because he got probably 90 more million guaranteed than the Indians would get Francisco Lindor, right? <laughs> I was going to say free agency is just going to end up being Francisco Lindor and like 17, 35 year old starting pitchers. But I mean, I think that's, that's the thing. I think that's, that's exactly the case that these young guys see what's going on and what has gone on with these last two winters. And it's not just, you know, yeah, Harper and Machado got their money, but they also got one less than we all probably would have guessed even a couple years ago. Two, it took forever. Three, I mean, well, they, they ended up in perfectly fine places, but, you know, they certainly weren't getting huge bids from super contenders. You know, you, you don't end up right. in San Diego unless a lot of other teams have kind of uh, declared themselves out of the running. So, and, that, and that's the best of the best. You know, meanwhile, you have guys like Gio Gonzalez taking a minor league deal or one-year deals for guys who are just, you know, 31, 32 years old. I think what's going to be interesting and perhaps even more dangerous for these players is, you know, they all, they're rushed to take extensions because they don't want anything to do with free agency or they want to lock up their money. Like you said, ahead of what promises to be a very contentious CBA negotiation in 2021, I believe it is, or after the 2021 season, the problem I think they're going to run into is a lot of these extensions because they're signing them young and because they have the club options for free agent years. That means they're going to, they are going to hit free agency eventually, it's just going to be at an even worse age at like 31, 32, 33, when their teams are going to be even less willing to spend on them. So, you know, that it, it's kicking the can down the road in a sense. Um, and I guess hoping that maybe in that span of time, things get fixed. I'm not really sure how, I don't really see how the teams and the owners and the front offices ever really give any of this power back. I think that the more likely, uh, like the likelier uh, outcome in any new CBA is negotiations to get players paid more um, earlier in their careers. You know, either you ch- turn arbitration into something where it's the first, it, it, you know, you, you go into arbitration after two years, the minimum salary goes up, stuff like that. You, you know, you figure out service time manipulation stuff, but I think free agency as it currently exists. I don't really see how you fix that because it, it involves telling 30 teams, 30 owners, all those front offices, you know, you can't do the things the way, like the way you are doing them now. How do you change that? But I mean, that's a much bigger conversation that they're going to have to figure out over the next few years. So we'll see where it goes. Do you think this should give Indians fans any hope though, that the Indians will figure? No, no, no. Okay. I don't either. That ownership, that ownership basically came out and said, they literally said, enjoy Lindor while he's here. There's no clear way of saying that we're not going to pay for him. No, not at all. He will he will get a qualifying offer when his time comes, assuming that I believe he's a free agent before the new CBA expires, so the qualifying yes. offer will still be a thing. He'll get his qualifying offer. I'm sure we'll get leaked reports that the Indians, you know, offered him, you know, quote unquote the biggest contract in Indians history, which granted would be you know, the biggest contract in Indians history would be like seventy five million dollars. But you know, they'll make some nine figure offer that's nowhere near what Lindor is worth. He will turn them down. He will go to like I don't know, Milwaukee or something. Um, and that'll be that, you know, I, the Indians, nothing they've done since, you know, the heyday of Manny Ramirez and Jim Tomey and, and all those guys suggest that they're anything other than, than, than what they are now. And especially, you know, 
being that team being kind of a you know a mark uh, run by a Mark Shapiro acolyte certainly doesn't suggest that they're gonna that they're gonna pay up when the time comes either. The Mets are the team that needs to be saving up for this, like the Lindor stuff. They need to be stockpiling, getting ready. Like that's the team in the East that needs to. That he would just be so perfect in. He'd be, I mean, he'd uh, be perfect on so many different teams, but. Right. I don't know. I um, guess I just really want to see him in a big market like that. I think he'd be really fun, and I'd like to. I don't want him to see him go to the Yankees or the Red Sox. I I don't want to see him go, and not even the Astros. I want him out of the, the, the Red Sox. The Red Sox would presumably be out at this point anyway because they gave Bogarts that big extension. Yeah. So I mean, we'll see if it's fortunately for Cleveland fans, they still have three more years, including this one, to to have you know to watch Lindor play for them before he invariably moves on. So. And the other truth of it is, like, I can easily see, you know, if, if by that third year the Indians are in a low period and maybe, I mean, maybe it's a Machado-type situation where he gets dealt midseason because the team just, you know, there's no point in keeping him because they know they're not going to resign him. So we might actually get a chance sooner even than, than his free agency to see him play for a contender in a big market. So I, I'm sorry to all your Indians fans, listeners, because this is probably not what they signed up for. It's just being told over and over again their team is cheap and will let their best player go. Well, we love you, Indians fans. We just don't like your ownership group. Um, or your you, logo. Well, is it's gone now, right? Basically, is it? Is it? Uh, I mean, that's supposedly. I mean, I actually haven't seen really much of any follow up on that. It's interesting that interview where that Paul Dolan did with the Athletic, where he said, you know, enjoy Linder while you can. Yeah. Um, there was a brief aside in there about how that the the league had not forced them to get rid of the logo ahead of this year's All Star Game and. I I don't know. That, that's something worth checking into, actually. I actually have not seen any updates on... I mean, the, the Indians have kind of quietly mothballed Chief Wahoo anyway. You know, he's not just not as prominent a thing, but certainly worth looking into as to just exactly what his usage is. Uh, well, these owners don't season. give a shit. There's no way. No, they're they, doing they this. Like. <laughs> <laughs> they're still selling merch, and that's the thing. Is like you're, I think that was one of the weird things. Is to, that, like Even if the team isn't wearing it, like you can still buy... Uh, uh, well, their, their, their whole their whole argument, which was you know, just clearly a face saving argument or an attempt at one, was that well, we have to keep selling it because otherwise we lose the copyright, and then any idiot can just make their own cheap right. Wahoo merchandise. And it's like, well, well those idiots do that. Okay, fine. Do like, that. why do you why do you care? Like, let that right. let that logo disappear and let it just become like you know the sports counterfeit equivalent of Calvin peeing on like whatever. Like, you know, yeah. I guess, you know, who who cares? Let it die, you know? Let the old ways care. die. Like, you have to imagine, like, Dan Snyder watching the Redskins episode of South Park. Just, like, those guys and the people that were for it, like, had to have driven them nuts. Right? Guys like Dan Snyder have no shame. There's no shame at all in what Dan Snyder does. He's so rich that there will never be consequences for the things he does. Right. So, why feel shame for the things he does either? That's true. Um, last thing on the free agency stuff and the extension stuff. Um, who's next? We talked about Merrifield. We talked about Lindor, Acuna. Who is there? Who's next in the pipeline to take a really team-friendly deal just because they're nervous about? Um, I think. What I think Bogerts is probably going to be the last one we see for now because a lot of these teams they always want to get stuff done before opening day because they don't want it to be a quote-unquote distraction during the season, and Bogerts just ended up taking a couple of days. I think the, the framework was agreed to around opening day. They just didn't finalize it until a couple of days later. Um, so I guess we're probably going to have to wait and see kind of who has, you know, which of these young players has a great season. Um, you know, I guess I could easily, 
Uh, I think given the whole service time stuff between Brian and the Cubs, I wouldn't be surprised if he's still kind of mad about that. Yeah. I could see in a different universe with different ownership, although they did just give the money to DeGrom, maybe the Mets, if Peter, if Pete Alonso has a great season, maybe they talk to him next winter about a big extension. Mm. Um, especially because, you know, as a right-handed older power bat at first base, you know, his, his, it's not going to cost that much to keep him around. I mean, you saw Paul Goldschmidt is the best first baseman in baseball got what, 120 some million dollars. And, you know, granted that's Paul Goldschmidt, not Pete Alonso and Pete Alonso is younger, but it certainly would suggest that the Mets could probably lock him up for not too huge an amount. Um, the one person I'd like Matt Olson. I mean, maybe it depends on how he comes back from that injury. I just feel like the A's with the way they operate are just such not a great bet to do that kind of stuff. The one yeah. person I want to see is Mookie Betts, but I think that's, that's going to be happening. <laughs> that's going to be a long next winter negotiation, I think. Um, it should be a long negotiation. It should be. A, it should be a very exactly simple, Mike very Trout easy did. negotiation. Yes. <laughs> it's just, here's three hundred fifty million dollars, and we're all said like it's all said and done. Um, but I also understand that that's you know Mookie is is someone who could very easily you know, be that Machado Harper type player of his, of his free agency year, um, not this winter, but the winter after that. So, I mean, we'll, we'll have to wait and see at this point, because I don't, I, I doubt we're getting another extension done um, before. I mean, maybe, maybe if it's someone like, you know, I could maybe see like when Vlad Jr. is healthy and the Jays call oh, him no up, way. maybe there's a situation there. The Blue you never Jays? know, because even yeah. it's unlikely, but they did just give money to Randall Grichuk for, some That's damn true. reason so but he got a full year and I could at see, least and i could see that too where it's like you know he's still Vlad Jr. still you know six years away from free agency at this point you know and even if he's awesome it's still going to take him three years before he starts making anything approaching real money so but i think at that point if, if you're looking for another team-friendly extension you're probably waiting for a prospect along the lines of Vlad Jr. get called up at some point in the next month or two and then maybe you know, maybe that team decides to do some kind of Eloy Jimenez style deal where it's like, let's just lock this all down for the next, you know, six to eight years. Yeah. Um, why did the, speaking of the Blue Jays, why did the Giants trade for Kevin Pillar? Why not? He's a perfectly, he's a great defensive outfielder. He's a right-handed bat when a, in an outfield that, you know, and the Giants don't really have a lot of those uh, outfielder wise. He's not too expensive. He's a good, you know, quote, he's a good capital V, capital P veteran presence. He didn't cost particularly much in terms of what they had to give back. You know, it was Alan Hansen, who's a slap hitting utility infielder who didn't make the team out of spring training. Derek Law, who they've kind of who seems like he's fallen out of seemed like he fell out of favor um, and didn't make the team out of spring training. And then a you know live arm minor leaguer in Jose DePaula, who they got for Andrew McCutcheon last year, but a guy they left exposed in the Rule Five draft and who no one took. So. Also, not a guy who seems to be that highly regarded. And the other thing, too, is all three of those players were acquired by the old regime um, in San Francisco, so they weren't Farhan Zaidi's guys. And, I, you know, it's not surprising to see, you know, a, a, like a deal for that, too, three for one, kind of just clearing some, I guess you could call it dead wood out of the stock. Um, I, I think Pilar makes sense for the Giants. It's, you know, that outfield's a disaster. He can't hurt. Like, he can't hit. But at the very least, he's a good defender, and that's a good fit always for for the spacious confines of, uh, it's not called AT&T Park anymore, is it? What, what is it called now? I mean, I call it AT&T Park, so whatever Let, else I'm you just, want to call I'm it, just I gonna, I'm just going to call it Candlestick. He's a good fit for Candlestick. There you go. Um, so I, I, I called I, the I Indians place the Jake forever. I'll never call anything else. Oh, that's right, because it's progressive. 
field yeah. or something. And the weird one, the weird there. one for me, the very progressive Cleveland ownership group. Yeah, the weird one for me is going to be when Miller Park in Milwaukee goes to American Family Nation Insurance or whatever it's supposed to be next season. And you know, it? it's, it's just yeah, it's but it's just going to be Miller Park for me because that just makes sense, you know. Yeah, and I don't know. I don't know how long it's going to take me to stop calling Safeco Safeco because it's not Safeco anymore. It's T-Mobile Park or something. It's gross. Just but wait either way, the I, day I think... that the Chase Thomas podcast is called the Progressive um, BB and T podcast with Chase Thomas. It's, very, it's coming down the pike. Sprint. Brought to you by um, Sprint, exactly. But I, I think Polar, it's, it's a minor move, and certainly it's not going to it's it's not going to make a real difference for the Giants going forward in terms of you know they weren't a contender before that trade. They are not a contender after that trade. But it's a helpful piece who helps them get through the season. It means they don't have like. I don't know how much Giants baseball you watched over the first week of the season. I hope for your sake not it was zero because they're not good. Um, but the guy they, one of the outfielders they had, Michael Reed, just clearly overmatched at the major league level. And it's like, Pilar is not a superstar. He's not even a star, but he can handle himself um, at the plate and especially in the field as a major leaguer. And sometimes that's all you need. Um, okay. But also, I think it's I think it's interesting to me too that it signals kind of. I mean, the Jays haven't really done anything since that. Um, that deal happened, what, two days ago now? But mm-hmm. it certainly would seem to signal that they are going to move whatever veterans they can whenever they get a chance. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if Justin Smoke gets dealt at some point this year. Um, I know there were rumors that Marcus Stroman was going to go to the Padres, which not a veteran, but certainly, you know, someone who could bring a, a decent haul back. Because, I mean, you look at that Toronto team, it's just not good. You know, it's it's all about who's coming eventually, but the current Blue Jays team is simply quite bad. Which was uh, the point, worse, which is what they're trying which to Which is the right point, there. but I think it's, it's kind of surprising because I, you know, I kind of glossed over the Blue Jays this offseason in terms of, you know, thinking about them because there wasn't a whole lot of interest there beyond Vlad. And I had not realized just how little offense they have, you know, even with even with some, you know, useful veteran hitters like smoke. And I forgot they already moved Kendris Morales, Morales too, to traded him to Oakland to, you know, so they're, they're just trying to open playing time for the kids. And that's fine. I suppose it sucks for blue Jays fans who, I guess, theoretically it sucks for them that they, you know, get rid of productive major leaguers, but Kendris Morales and Kevin Pillar aren't exactly, I don't think they're exactly guys you miss too much, you know, but we'll see. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think the Blue Jays are probably in a better position of the rebuilding teams to get back quicker. Mm. It helps to have a budding superstar on the way. It helps to have Bo Bichette and BGO Jr. and all these other guys. Like, I think they'll be fine. And they've shown that they will spend when they are ready to spend. Um, so I, I think the Blue Jays actually might be okay in a couple of years. Like, their rebuild will not be as long as, like, the the Orioles or even, like, the White Sox and how long the Phillies was. I don't even think it'll be that bad. Um, the Marlins. Uh, God, did you see that image of... Um, Marlin Stadium a couple days ago. Yeah, without the dinger machine, it's very sad. Oh, not just. Or are you that? talking about I'm saying the fans? Are you just talking about like how there's nobody there? Yeah, their attendance. Yeah. They got twenty five thousand people for their for their home opener, and their attendance since then I don't think has broken seven thousand. Like Jesus. baseball, baseball is a failed product in Florida, and I don't know how you fix it. And I think uh, there was a Wall Street Journal article yeah. to that effect last year I want to say that looked at both Tampa and Miami and it's like why has baseball failed in Florida and I think well in the Marlins case it's very simple because that ownership group has never treated that team as anything other than an ATM so you know there was never there's never been a foundation for success for the Marlins and -hmm. I think at a certain point like yeah there's no reason to go to a Marlins game in 2019 you're not going to see anyone there unless you're there for the visiting team 
that's going to, that really, you know, is going to pique your interest this year. You know, there, there's some pieces, actually, they have some nice pieces in their rotation, actually. I think Pablo Lopez, Trevor Richards, um, I'm already freaking Sandy Alcantara, who was really good in his first, but like, you know, there's some, and eventually Sixto Sanchez will come up. Like they have some interesting like guys there, but certainly for 2019, there's just not a whole lot for you to care about. So why would you go to that game? And I think that's kind of the sad thing with teams like the Marlins and the Orioles and the, maybe less so the White Sox because they're, well, the White Sox are really bad or the Royals. Like you shouldn't be allowed to charge attendance to go see these teams play. You know, like you're not getting a major league product. You're getting something somewhere between AAA and the majors. You know, I think they're probably they're probably NPB teams who are better than the Marlins. You know, I don't know if that would increase attendance though. I don't know if lowering the prices. I still think the Marlins are just it's just a bad. Product. No, I don't. I don't. I don't think that would fix anything with the Marlins. I think the fan base there is more or less, except for a few diehards, kind of given up because all they've ever known in the 25 years of existence. Um, is you know win and tear down, win and tear down, and then not even winning, just just tearing it down no matter what. So I think you can only do that so many times before a fan base kind of gets the message and gives up. Um, you know, it's, so I know I don't, I don't think it would make a difference there. I just still think it's kind of a bummer for fans, you know, and especially not not just the fans who pay for attendance, but just you know, imagine you're an Orioles fan and you've basically been told by your team's front office and decision makers and, and whatever. 2019 doesn't matter. Nothing that happens on this field. Well, not nothing, but wins and losses. You know, the, the, the very, the key results of a baseball game don't matter. You know, the whole point of this 2019 team is not to win. It's to lose and to lose badly. Um, although they're actually Orioles aren't doing that, but Hey, whatever. Um, it just stinks. Like imagine be a fan of that team and just know that like, they don't care about putting an entertaining or winning product on the field. And you're just stuck with that for at least a year, probably two, maybe three. Like White Sox fans who who kind of told themselves, all right, it's you know when they traded away Chris Sale and Adam Eaton and and kind of dismantled that team that granted wasn't particularly good but still had a lot of really good players, or at least a fair number of good players. They tell themselves, okay, they'll be good eventually. You know they got Yon Moncada and they got Lucas Giolito and they got Michael Kopech and on and on and on. And now we're what three years out from that, on our, or in our to our third year out from that, and they're still looking like a hundred loss team. And granted, like Makata looks better, Giolito looks better. It still just has to stink to know that you're just throwing away two to three to four to however many years for a, for a, for potential, not even a guarantee for potential. And that you know that fine if that's that works as a rock building solution sometimes. It just still stinks for fans that, like, you know, they're the ones who've got to sit through that. They're the ones who've got to sit through three plus years of miserable baseball from a chance that things get better. So, and I think that, you know, I don't know how that changes. I don't think that does change because I think teams have identified that this is a way to build a roster that saves money and that the league doesn't seem to care what your end result is on the field. But it's like when people wonder, it's like, why, you know, why does baseball have a, 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 fan base problem in terms of like young people don't seem to want to watch the game or attendance down or whatever else. Like, well, because a lot of teams don't try. What's the point of going to a baseball game where the, where your team isn't trying? What are you there for to spend $10 on a beer? Like, I don't know. It's, I feel bad because like the season has started and there's a lot to be excited about in the season. And here I am just being doom and gloom and mopey about, you know, economic shit. 
I think I thought we'd left that behind when the season started. I was ready to be like jazzed about individual baseball players and and whatnot. And like you know, we got like tonight, for example, Jacob Degrom just struck out fourteen dudes in a in a game against the Marlins. Actually, you know, I, I it's just it's it's hard when baseball creates that kind of negative undercurrent though, through all these weird, unpleasant financial and emotional and not emotional economical decisions that just kind of sap some of the joy out of watching these guys do what they do, you know? Yeah. Uh, but thankfully we have guys like, uh, Anduar who are going to be healthy for the foreseeable future and help a very good team, uh, continue to fight back to another world series win, right? Boy, the Yankees are springing some leaks, huh? Well, the good news is they'll have Josh Donaldson to trade for in a couple of months and he'll play third. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's it's funny how the universe works when you have a team like the Yankees. They're like, we don't need Manny Machado. We have we have Miguel Andujar, and for short stuff, we'll just get Troy Tulowitzki at a very heavy discount. It's like, well, why was Troy Tulowitzki available for a very heavy discount? And now he's hurt. He's so in, I believe, what seventeen games in the last seven years, something like that. And it's it, it's just I don't want to say it's karma because it ain't karma. And certainly, I don't want to imply that like you know, that this is what you should have expected from Troy Tulowitzki. And it's a bummer because I, I want a healthy Tulowitzki. You know, that that's cool. A healthy Troy Tulowitzki is a good thing. It's just, you know, you just kind of look at it as, well, that's why you sign guys like Manny Machado because, you know, they help you weather this kind of stuff. They raise the floor so that when things do go wrong, you're not in a situation where you're now playing Tyler Wade every single day or where you're not DJ LeMay, who isn't suddenly a starter coming off one of the worst years of his career, or, you know, whatever else it is the Yankees are going to have to do to survive this whole mess of injuries and, and problems that they've got. So I think Clint Frazier is going to have to play third. I think that's what we're going to have to institute. <laughs> they had Greg Bird taking ground balls at third base because, mm-hmm. you know, the, you definitely want Freeman the hyper... third. That was fun, actually. I, I, I did enjoy that. Uh, I actually talked to Ron Washington about that, and he was very enthused about getting to teach third base to, to Freddie Freeman. So, but it's just, you know, that's to me, it's like when, when you have teams like the Yankees and the Cubs and the Dodgers who decide that the, the smart thing to do isn't just pay the best players because you have money to do it, but instead just pay lesser players, less money. So theoretically, like you have like that, that theory, it almost like it's if you can have your choice of one player who's worth eight wins above replacement or four players who are each worth two wins above replacement, you'd rather have the one really good guy than the four guys who are just kind of okay. Cause you know, it's, it, it, I'm, I'm, I'm getting myself like worked. I don't even, I'm not, I'm not obviously I'm not a Yankees fan, but I find myself getting worked up because it's like, that's just the easiest, simplest, best solution is just pay the best player. You know, if the child gets hurt, especially when fine, you are whatever. the Yankees, like, yeah, you should like, just do that. It's one thing, and I don't necessarily agree with that argument people make, where it's like, oh, you don't want to devote like a third of your payroll to one player. It's like, you can if you just get smart with the rest of your money. Like, you know, if you're not a dumbass, you can figure out a way to pay Manny Machado $300 million while also not like running out on, you know, a AAA rotation. It's doable. You just have to get creative. And certainly the Yankees smartest damn team in baseball or one of them at least can probably figure that out so yeah it's the Yankees they're in a bad spot now but and especially you know the the one kind of saving grace for them is that their their April is a pretty soft schedule they have a lot of 
um, not so great teams. But then again, they just lost four of six to the Orioles and the Tigers. So <laughs> how soft, I guess, does it really matter if you, if you can't field a full team yourself? But I mean, they also are, are, have the benefit right now that Boston looks terrible and is just playing terribly. And, you know, this time last year, the Red Sox had already opened up a big lead in the division. Certainly not the case this year. So the silver lining on all this for the Yankees is there's still time for them to get healthy and turn it around. But uh, they're they're in a bad, bad spot at the moment. All right, John, we have to go. But um, is there anything you would like to plug before we get out of here? Um, I got a thing on Hunter Pence. It'll be out most likely tomorrow, perhaps Friday. Still trying to figure that out. Just about him kind of redoing his swing and kind of, you know, putting himself in a position to make the Rangers, which I think everyone found a little surprising because he looked, you know, certainly washed up as hell at the end of last season. So I got that coming out. Um, but that's that's about all on the radar for the moment. All right. Is he appearing in Fuller House season eight? You know, he should. I don't think Lori Laughlin's going to be around for that one. So. Right. He could just take her role and just pretend yeah. like nothing happened. I think that's what they should do. Seamless. Seamless transition right there. Perfect. John, thank you so much. Talk to you soon, buddy. Thanks, man. All right, we're back on the Chase Thomas Podcast. I am now joined by a first-timer, Daniel Swanberg of Stake in the Plane. He is the Texas Tech basketball writer there. And I believe, yeah, Texas Tech uh, doing pretty well in the, the NCAA tournament this year. Right, man? Uh, doing just fine. Uh, the best we've ever done. So we're pretty, pretty excited, all the uh, Texas Tech fans right now. So you know who else is doing something uh, in the Final Four that uh, they've never done before? The Auburn Tigers. Um, very scrappy Final Four. All four teams. Kind of a tough watch um, if you just catch them at the wrong time. But um, I think they're all going to combine. Like the two games are going to combine for maybe 100 points. I, I think that's best case scenario, right? Uh, at Tech, we want to keep them below 50. So, okay. uh, yeah. So how did this happen for Texas Tech? Walk me through it. How did the how did Chris Beard turn this team into just this defensive juggernaut uh, so quickly and just so dominantly this season? So I mean, it started a few seasons back. He's been there. Uh, this is his third season. Um, we worked on it, and last year uh, it was coming together, and then this year he fit the right pieces. He went out and got some transfers. Uh, those transfers fit perfectly into his system. They knew what he wanted. Uh, they had some experience. And then along with some of the players from last year's Elite Eight team, it was just the perfect wet recipe. So putting those two together, uh, having his defensive scheme the way he wanted it, it was, I mean, the perfect formula for our team to get to where they're at right now okay why do you think this team's identity this defensive first identity works so well with this group so i mean you're looking at a team that isn't an offensive juggernaut at all so with that being said defense can be taught the system the way that he runs it the way that our players play it is just something that it's extraordinary to watch. And it's not just your same old 
boring defense that shuts people down. It's aggressive defense. So being aggressive, being athletic, being able to run, getting fresh legs in, and, I mean, as soon as the ball comes over the the half court, us getting set, throwing things at people that they haven't seen before, that can be taught. The offensive side, we can get hot and we can make some shots, but um, we're not going to win it if it's in a shootout, I mean, battle. So this defense needed to be taught. It's the way that he wins. Actually, in his history, through the other schools that he's brought up, uh, the smaller schools, before he came to Tech, that's what he did there, and he was winners at every place that he stopped. So it's just something that he does, something that he teaches, and it works. Why do you think Beard has had so much more success at Texas Tech than Shaka has had at Texas? Ooh, all right. So think Shaka went from VCU into UT. UT um, is, of course, Texas Tech is too, a football school. And Shaka goes into UT. He gets all the talent he wants. I just, when I watch them, all the talent it hasn't been tied together. There hasn't been something like this Texas Tech defense that Beard taught the Tech guys. And, I mean, it's our identity. It's what we do. It's how we thrive. UT, I watched them, and they're a good team. But Shaka is getting the right pieces. I don't know if Shaka's putting it together, though. Tech, they're doing it. Chris Beard is getting people He's getting the right people for his system. So the identity of UT and the Longhorns, I really couldn't tell you what it is, uh, but you obviously know what it is with Tech. So that, that's probably the best answer I can give you on that. What makes Jarrett Culver special? So Culver has always been, um, I want to say, a standout, not so much in the recruitment process, but once he got on the college scene, you could hear people, you could hear the scouts, you could talk to people and know that he was getting close to to being NBA ready. He's what they want. He has the length. He plays well, defense, offense. Uh, he had to work on a shot over the summer and really um, hone that in. But Jarrett Culver, I mean, his story coming from Lubbock and being there at Tech, staying, I mean, the hometown kid, and he goes through, comes onto the team, does well last year. He's part of that Elite Eight team. Um, Everybody's going to be looking to him as a leader this season. He knew it. Uh, People believed he was going to be good, but I don't know if everybody knew he was going to be potential lottery pick good. Um, just worked his butt off and uh, ran the schemes the way that our staff, which our staff is extremely good at conditioning and extremely well at uh, if you put the work in, they're going to try to take you to the next level. So he's special, though, on the court because I'm going to say, he can score when it's needed, and 
he will find a way to get his points. You can lock him down. You can put whoever you want on him. Um, he is going to get away. You're going to find a way to get to the rim or the free throw line and going to get uh, his points. And, and that's frustrating for other teams. Do you think Beard is in Lubbock for the long term? I think Beard is in Lubbock. Uh, this is something that goes back and forth with lots of Texas Tech fans, uh, lots of people around. The talk is, where is Beard going to go next? Is he going to stay? I believe Beard and his fit for the culture and everything that goes on with his family in Lubbock or around Lubbock, um, everything with Bobby Knight learning under him for 10 years, understanding the tech program and the West Texas culture. He's going to be there for a few seasons. Um, this is where it gets into the debate of people say he's going to stay there forever. I think he will be there for a while, but it's my theory that if a blue blood program comes after him, he's going to maybe a few years down the line, if he keeps on having the success that he does, get an offer that he just can't refuse. Who is that offer? Is it Kansas? I mean, is Bill Self going to the NBA? Is that still the rumor? Well, hey, man, he lost his first uh, Big 12 regular season title for the first time forever. <laughs> Maybe this is the beginning of the end, right? No, not they're not going to. Oh, man, they're not going to oust him. The Jayhawks, um, they're always going to stay at the top of the Big 12 and be a contender. Uh, but if Bill Self did leave, I would think that is a program along with um, a UK, you know, Kentucky, mm -hmm. uh, UNC, North Carolina, or uh, potentially Duke, Coach K going out at there. I can see, I mean, the prestige and the history of those programs. He does very well at Tech, keeps on bringing us to the tournament, um, brings the program up. If they want him, they might come and, as I said, give him an offer he can't refuse, um, which to a lot of uh, Texas Tech fans, they'd, they'd be upset me saying that. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting, and it's going to get more complicated in the state of Texas because Buzz Williams is making the move uh, to College Station. Are you intrigued by this much just talent coaching, coaching talent in the state of Texas? Now you have Kevin Sampson, who's kind of the forgotten juggernaut with Houston now, what he's building there. You have just a multitude of high-quality college basketball coaches in this state. Is that a concern for you? No, um, I mean, you've seen what Beard can do, and obviously against Shaka at UT, um, Texas Tech is, uh, is holding their own there and uh, kind of owning that. Um, A&M, Buzz Williams coming in, they're an SEC team. I would really like to see Tech play them. Um, and I think he is going to bring up the A&M program. But the Aggies... Uh, I believe, what is it? Sweet 16 is the farthest, the furthest they've been in the tournament. They've never been to the Elite Eight. So if Buzz can bring them there, um, that'll be good for the Aggies. Uh, U of H, uh, they're, they're great. And I have to believe, though, somebody is going to come after Sampson and, uh, and try to pick him from them. So they're going to be good. 
um, until he leaves. They'll still be good. But, yeah, there's there's a pool of talent in the state of Texas right now. Um, am I afraid of it? Not at all. I still believe that uh, Chris Beard is, is going to make his name in Lubbock and make his name in the college basketball world and be tied to tech uh, as doing that. Okay. Um, last thing, and then we'll wrap up here. Um, so they're in the final four. How do you see it uh, playing out, not only for Texas Tech, but for um, the rest of the tournament? So I think that we got a dandy of a game in Michigan State. That's going to be a battle. Um, I have watched Tech basketball and followed it since being a student out there in 2001. And the way that we're playing right now, it is the best basketball I'm, I've ever seen us play. Um, I think that Michigan State is playing some dang good basketball, too. Uh, the runs they've gone on, their conference uh, winning that, and, and just this is two top-notch teams at the top of their game running into each other. I think it's going to be a great matchup. I'm going to be on the plane to Minneapolis to watch it here on Saturday morning. I'll You're going. And, uh, yeah, go to the go to the game. I can't miss it. I mean, this is our first Final Four, so got to see it in person. And I am going to tell you that I have confidence. I'm a homer um, thinking that Texas Tech can do it. If they play the way that they did against Gonzaga, they play the way they did the whole tournament against Michigan, against Buffalo, uh, it is a uh, high probability that they come out and win the game. Now, if we go in and go cold, uh, like I've seen them do before during the season, it might be a different story. But I'm going to say that I see it playing out as technique in the championship game, of course. Uh, I, I mean, that's just the confidence I have in them. And then Auburn and Virginia – I really, Virginia being the underdog, Virginia winning the SEC, Virginia on the run, or I'm sorry, Auburn on the run that they're on, the Tigers, I got to go for the two underdogs in both games. And I got to say, I would love to see an Auburn versus Texas Tech matchup in the championship. Do you think Texas Tech matches up better with Auburn or do you, would you just prefer to see that matchup? I prefer to see that matchup. Um, Virginia coming in, I think with Virginia and their defensive game, they play such a flawless game. I really think that Tech has a chance uh, with either team. I think the harder matchup is against Michigan State. If Tech can get past Michigan State, I think that they have uh, better chances of Auburn or Virginia, either one. Who do I want to see them play? I'd like to see them play Auburn. If it be, is Virginia, you know, so be it. But um, I think they have uh, their biggest test is on Saturday against Michigan State. Okay. Um, well, it's going to be fun either way. I think all these four games are going to be uh, – they're all four great coaches, um, and it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see how it all unfolds. Um, obviously, I'm pulling for Auburn. But I, I think eventually it's going to catch up to them relying so much on Bryce Brown and, and Harper. So 
um virginia it, it would not be surprised if we get virginia michigan state in the final and virginia wins that's i i feel like this is a virginia winning type of deal but i could be wrong um texas tech's a fun story and i hope you beat michigan state uh so there you go um daniel i appreciate you taking the time have a great time this weekend at the final four i hope it goes well for you um thank you so much for taking the time tonight yeah thanks for taking the time and uh letting me on and also too wanted to say for uh anybody out there staking the planes.com uh, come over and check out what we have to write about Texas tech. And uh, also too, there's a couple podcasts, 23 personnel and uh, Dinger Derby for our baseball team that you guys can, can go and check out if you have time. Absolutely. And get ready for that great new Utah state Aggie offense this fall in Lubbock. I think it's gonna be good. I think it's a good hire. It's a sneaky, good hire for them. I am on the fence for it, but I'm going to try to be optimistic. Uh, you, you know, I really am. Okay. I trust me on this. I've been, I'm the biggest Utah state fan. Now I'm not, I just, I've, I've seen, I, I like the Jordan love stuff and everything else. I don't know. It'll be fun. Um, Daniel, I know you have to run, so I appreciate it. And we will talk soon, man. All right. Thank you. And that'll do it for today's episode of the chase Thomas podcast. I uh, just want to remind you guys, if you like today's episode and you are subscribed on Apple podcast, or iTunes, I would really appreciate if you could take a second, leave the show a five-star rating and a review. If uh, you're not an Apple podcast listener, remember you can find the show on Spotify, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, uh, Google Play, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, be sure to check out chasethomaspodcast.com where you can access all of my previous episodes and also find all my writing. I'm writing there fairly often. And also follow me on Twitter at chase underscore thomas and like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. Uh, thank you for your support, and we'll be back with another episode very soon. Thanks, guys. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.